0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the NBM family. This is one of them. And so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. What's going on here is beyond normal. It's completely extraordinary in a very positive way. Business brings the world together. It may be quite brutal, it may be quite you know, simple, it may not be very intellectual or, or refined, but there's something about the entrepreneurship.
0: There are only two kinds of people. that The ones that are discouraged by failure and the ones that are encouraged by failure. And that's what makes the difference. It's Innovation in Europe by Project Kazimierz. Now another episode with your hosts, Richard Lucas and Samuel Cook.
2: Hello again, Project Kazimierz listener. My name is Sam Cook, the uh, co-founder and co-host of Project Kazimierz here with my co-host, as always, Richard Lucas. How are you doing, Richard? Very well. Good afternoon, everyone,
1: or whatever time of day it is, wherever you're listening. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we're here with our guest today, and I'm going to do a very quick introduction today because we might not have a lot of time for the interview. But uh, here with Will Bunker, whose uh, email tagline says, "My life is a startup. Learn and build. Learn, do and build. Startup order family number one, Silicon Valley number two, or sorry, Silicon Valley gross syndicate number two, and number three, our community." And uh, I love that, that tagline. I'm going to let Richard do a quick introduction of Will, and then we're going to go uh, straight into it here.
1: Okay. Well, I, this is actually the first time I've ever had a, a, a conversation with Will. So uh, my my prior contact with him resulted from the fact that I listened to the Andrew Warner's uh, Mixergy uh, Mixer G podcast series. I subscribed to that and uh, I heard him being interviewed a few weeks ago and just reached out because I really like the, the content, um, what he had to say. I also found that one of the portfolio companies his fund has invested in has uh, was a little similar to something that I thought of many years ago, but I always think that actions speak louder than words. So I just, and, and Will actually went ahead and invested in that business, whereas I only only thought about it. So I sent Will an email, asked, he'd be open to do an interview, and he, he he replied, yes, he would. And that's why we're here now. Um, Will was the founder of, I think, the the first really successful online dating company, which was called One and Only, um, which was later sold out to, to Match.com and was a phenomenally successful business before he, before he sold it. And um, I, I think that I'll, I'll let Will tell that story himself in a, in a couple of sentences. But the, the other thing that's very interesting to, to us here is the fact that you've got your your fund, this uh, Silicon Valley growth syndicate, which applies at a sort of organizational level uh, principles that I think are rather similar to the ones that we share here in in Krakow in Poland. So, uh, Will, I don't know whether I've done a fair job of introducing yourself, but maybe now you can correct
0: all the mistakes I've made? Well, uh, we, you know, one and only was the largest dating site of the 90s, and then we sold to uh, Ticketmaster City Search, who had also bought what was left of Match, and we ended up with their brand name on our business in Dallas. But it was a wild and crazy ride. It, it's interesting, Match uh, raised $10 million, but the VC lost confidence in them and pulled the plug and sold them off uh Prematurely, and we only raised ninety thousand and sold for like fifty million. So it's crazy, totally
1: crazy, and a, and a huge success story. So um, we're very pro success here. So congrats. Un- unlike some Europeans, I'm very pro success. So <laughs> congratulations for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I understand the failure you know Felcon and and that movement and stuff and while. I don't think you should be uh, castigated for failure. I don't know that I saw. <laughs> I prefer success over failure, although I've had a lot of uh, failure in my life as well.
1: That's, that's interesting. I did, that's not visible on your, your LinkedIn profile, um, but uh, certainly uh, Sam and myself, I've had some businesses that have collapsed around me. And although people say fail fast, fail often, I strongly recommend people not failing if they can avoid it. It's a very painful experience, although it does teach you a lot of lessons, right?
0: Yeah. Yes, it, it, it's t- the last one I had was a V Chatter, and you know it grew very rapidly to 200,000 users a day. We had uh, we raised a you know small round of 500k, and then Facebook changed a lot of their policies, and the thing just died on the vine, and it was extremely painful. It probably took me about a year and a half or two years to get over that. It was, it was really tough because you know I raised money for people that I really respected. And then to turn around and tell them that you know you just lost their money—it's horrible.
1: <laughs> certainly, certainly. There's also like there's also like the human side of it, right? You, there's the people you let go of, and the, the you know all the all the people you all the people you you let down, are, as a result, it feels quite bad, right?
0: Yeah, and luckily, I mean, we, we knew that it was going down, and so we were able to get uh, all the employees off to new jobs before, you know, we closed the door. So, I, you know, in my workings, I try to be transparent with everyone that's taking the risk with me and not, you know, hide, you know, oh, this is going great up till the day, you know, the phone quits ringing. Uh, so we were able to transition off uh, everyone that needed a day job, you know, uh, so that they didn't have a disruption, and but it, it's it's still extremely painful.
2: Well, well, Richard, one of the things that uh, I think that you've brought up here in terms of, uh, um, you know, we've talked a lot about failure and what it teaches and 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 how to react to it, but I think this is a really interesting, uh, maybe counter or corollary to that is um, the success episode and and i, I think that you know we're, we're going to be talking mainly about investing today and will you you run a very successful um uh venture or angel venture fund that I, we'd like to go into and I, I think one of the main things that um startups in crack are very uh they're very idealistic right now because we haven't had a lot of uh a huge startup community and, and everyone thinks that raising money is like the the be all end all versus uh versus not raising money as, as long as you can. And I think you brought one of the great points about that, which is the responsibility and the burden that money puts on you.
0: Well, and it also creates, I mean, every time you raise round, you basically raise how far you have to go in order for you to personally see success. <laughs> you know, and for instance, I ran into a gentleman at South by Southwest this year he had sold his company for $75 million, which is almost, well, yeah, almost double what I sold mine for. Um, he ended up with $300K out of that. <laughs> and he had raised $25 million and it had taken too long to build a company. And he he saw basically no reward for it. I mean, you know, $300K is a lot of money. I mean, it's better than zero, but it's certainly... A slim amount, given the amount of value that he created.
1: Yes, certainly. And you know, I I bootstrap all my businesses. I never had outside investment. And you know, I have invested in other people's businesses. And sometimes I've been lucky enough to see them succeed. Other times I haven't. But I think sometimes if people are, are young and they haven't had that that bootstrapping experience themselves. They also it can teach them bad lessons. Like money is is too easy to come. If you haven't earned it, maybe you don't treat the money with the same respect as you do when you've made it yourself. Uh, that's certainly something I feel from time to time with some people.
0: Well, for us, when we were you know we raised nine hundred k for one and only, and it was mainly because we had no idea how to raise money, and we were in Dallas in ninety five. It was an internet company, and you know, dating of all things. I mean, when I would fiz- when I would tell people what I did for a living, they would physically back up for me. You know, you, you could almost see the shot on their face. Uh, and so it was just an impossibility to raise you know, large sums of money where we were at, or, or, or at least we didn't know how to do it. We didn't have the skills to do it. Uh, but what it did force us to do was to become ruthlessly efficient in our business. And because we did that, we overcame and outran all of our competitors. And, you know, these things go through so many cycles and take so long that a lot of times, you know, you'll read on the cover of TechCrunch, you know, so-and-so got funded and, you know, we, back then it was Red Herring and uh, I forget what the other big publication was, but, you know, we'd feel very jealous. We'd be like, oh, man, you know, that guy just raised a bunch of money. What's wrong with us? Why is he so cool? Um, And then, you know, I stayed in the business long enough, you'd see the person was, was out of business, you know, 18 months later. Yeah,
1: well, it's something that I mean, do. Yeah, I, I completely well, understand. Yeah. So I, I was just going to uh, cut in there and say that, you know, I often say, because I do these, we do have this sort of startup community, there are events. And sometimes when I'm I'm doing a workshop or a talk, I say, you know, it's not the champagne time when you raise funding, you know, the the, the the person who puts the money in wants more back than they put in. But sometimes there is this sort of atmosphere, wow, we got funded, we've made it. And of course, there will be a PR company that will happily pump you up. But it's not a success to have raised funding. It's a necessary step for some businesses, but it's not success day, right?
0: No, all it is, is you got to the next uh, mountain that you have to climb. And by the way, that mountain was bigger than the one you were on <laughs> because, because you got to pay the money back. <laughs> so, you know, and there are some businesses where that is absolutely the correct strategy to do. But if your probable exit is, you know, five to 20 million, then uh, it's probably a really big mistake.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and also it depends what you're doing. And I, I noticed that in, in 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 your your startup, um, you and your partner were doing the work yourself. That if some if you don't have a technical co-founder, then you need some money to get the development work done. But if you if it's a, a an internet-based business, on the other hand, if you don't have the skills in house, it can be very hard to manage that process of outsourcing. I think.
0: Well, I I physically taught myself programming. I mean, neither of us knew how to do any of that. I just said, uh, you know, well, no one's going to give us the money unless we build a prototype. And so I started, I basically took the programming books and I made stacks of flashcards and I would, I had a full-time job and I would study those flashcards at lunch and in in the evenings until I taught myself enough to build it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, that, that tells a story about the level of motivation you need that sometimes I think people don't appreciate just how much effort and work you have to put in to, to be successful well, in your case. But it, you know, it does tell a story, doesn't it?
0: Well, and, you know, I figured worst case, I'd have some amazing skills, you know, I just went, there's no downside to teaching myself. Uh, I think I could teach myself faster than I could beg money. Which is usually a true statement. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I run into that that don't have a technical co-founder. That if they would just pick the book up, I mean, unless you've got a you know a learning disability or you know you're dyslexic. Or, I mean, there are cases where it's truly hard to learn that type of material. But but if you're you know of average intelligence, you know there's maybe 500 facts. You would need to know to to be able to build whatever it is you're trying to build. And if you learn 20 a day, you know, in like 40 days, you know enough to do it.
1: That's very interesting. Maybe, maybe maybe as a thing you could do after this would be to send us your proposed reading list of the books that people, the the reading list. Maybe you've published it in a blog post or something. But the books that you'd recommend someone who wanted to follow your advice should read, because we like sharing knowledge. And I, you know, I've heard people say similar things. But as directly as that, I I think it's it's a useful lesson for some people listening, because most of this is much easier to acquire the knowledge now because of the
0: internet, right? No, it's, you've got all this free education around it. I think what most people lack is a, you know, a way, a disciplined way to cram it in their brain. And, you know, I found in college flashcards would be the only way I could learn these difficult subjects. But if you break down, like, you know, take HTML, there's maybe a hundred facts you would need to know to be pretty good at HTML. And it it's a lot, but it's not infinite.
1: No, no, I, I, I agree with that. And, um, Yes. So so one of the, one of the things we wanted to discuss was your, your investment philosophy because it's, it's on your website. We'll post a link to siliconvalleygrowth.com. Like you've got the investment steps, the, the asset class, the lean in strategy and the Q&A with the investment committee, but if there's someone listening who like, hasn't heard of you, haven't been on the website yet, what would you say is the most important thing about or a couple of features of your investment philosophy which maybe differentiates you from the many, many other investors who are out there in the valley?
0: Well, I try to, I mean, you know, I feel like at the stage that, that I'm investing, You know, there's two ways to rationalize doing what I do, which is, you know, investing in early-stage startups. Uh, One is to imagine that you somehow are the smartest person in the room and can pick the future. And I just, me personally, I know that that's probably not true for me. (laughs) And the other way is to go, you know, what does the math say about and what does the data say about... Uh, early stage startups, and what the data says is that you know there's a power law of returns, and you know you look at every one of those breakout companies, and there's a long list of super intelligent, very savvy people who passed on, and it wasn't because they were dumb or the person didn't explain it well. I think what the data says is you can't tell, and so I look for people that can get things done that I want to work with that if they were to succeed you know it you know I I go okay 20 years from now is this the way the world's gonna be And if the answer to the question is yes yes there will be a database in this industry or yes you know people will do things in a more efficient way then you know I look at the team and go okay is this a group I want to work with then they have as good a chance as anyone else to accomplish it? And I place a bet, and I, but I don't, um, you know, over. I try not to overthink it, and I also don't take too big of a risk relative to the amount of money that I have to invest, because you know, a hundred k in Uber's angel round is worth over four hundred million dollars today. And so, what I love about this business is I only have to be right every once in a while. Like, I can be wrong. And, and it was that way with the startup. I mean, when you're, when you're doing a startup, 90% of the, we found that over 80% of the features that we built reduced revenue. <laughs> and so you just didn't know. Like, so you would really have to just try multiple things knowing that the odds were whatever you were going to do was, was actually going to make it worse. But if you kept trying enough things, you'd find that one breakthrough idea that made the whole company. And I think investing is very similar to that.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's one, one thing that I really noticed was that you like investing in, in startups that already have revenue, right? Is that correct?
0: It is correct because I view it as a proxy for a team that can get things done. And it doesn't even have to be a lot of revenue. It's just have they built a product that anyone on the planet finds any value in whatsoever. <laughs>
1: Yes, because I, 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 I've often said that I think that you know when people ask me what I think of their business idea, their startup idea, I say, well, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter what I think; it matters what the customers think, because ultimately the, the only money that really matters is the money that comes comes in from clients or customers. So. It seems to me like there is some kind of validation of the idea. Cause if they've got a customer, there must be a lot of, as you say, it's proof that they can get things done, but it's a proof that someone out there is ready to swap their real dollars or pounds or euros or Zwadi for whatever it is they're doing. And I think that kind of validation is in, incredibly powerful. And you know, that's something that I've personally often looked at is, you know, it, okay, if you don't have a customer, are the names and phone numbers of people who said they will be your customers once you get the thing built? And it seems to me that's a very, very, Uh, significant and it's a very good criteria for anyone when they're looking at investing in anything I think
0: so I just gave 100k to a company that doesn't have a product but they manually called around to potential clients and sold $600,000 worth of stuff last month before they built anything (laughs) and I just went holy shit that's the kind of person I want to go into business with
1: Exactly. It proves that they can do stuff that isn't to do it, it proves things about their personality and character, doesn't it?
0: Yes. And the, and the kind of, because I, we bootstrapped two businesses now. My brother and sister started theirs for 100K and just sold last uh, December. I know anyone can do it.
2: Well, Will, one of the, one of the things you were just talking about is, is someone who, has has sold $600,000 worth of a a product that they haven't yet created. Uh, This this is this is a very interesting and and controversial subject where, uh, you know, in the online publishing business, um, you know, you can sell a product or the idea of a product before you produce it, especially if you're uh, you know, going delivered deliver it over a nine week period. It's a, a, a model we just did recently on on a product that we launched. And it wasn't incredibly a successful launch, but it was really interesting to see um, the way to test an idea is, is basically going out there and putting up a sales page. And in, in a software as a service business, one of the ways that I've heard some companies do it is they put up the marketing page and the sales page, and then they go buy ads for it. And if people buy it, they say, well, you know, this is actually not re- not yet ready. We're going to refund your money and let you know when the beta is ready. Um, and that's, I think, a very interesting concept. What would you advise uh, companies that are looking at it? Because I think the classic mistake people make is they, they fall in love with an idea, spend all this time and money building a product, and then no one wants it.
0: My My theory is that if you have to build a perfect product, product before anyone will buy it that that is probably not a very good startup idea because by definition startups are foobar uh from day one and you need something that people want so badly that they will put up with your crappy version of it i mean i can't tell you how shitty our personal site looked when we launched it. It was designed by an accountant. <laughs> and we had a form that didn't even connect to a database. It pulled up your email, it had the mail, mail to form. It pulled up your email client and you emailed it to us. And then we would physically paste it and upload it to the website. And the shocking thing was that one in 20 people were so lonely that they filled it out wanting our product.
1: Yeah, and, and the point is, I think I think you made the point in the Mixergy interview that basically people want to hook up, you know, that is a very fundamental yes. human thing and they want it enough to, to put up with a crappy product.
0: And if we had had to have a perfect product, then that meant the desire or the need for that service is not extremely high.
1: But uh, don't you think that that may have been true once, but it's... Like the th- the bar is right. Most of my business is a business to business. And if you're selling to a corporation, people are very corp- cautious when they're spending their company's money because they, they don't want to be seen to be doing business to someone who might be risky. So don't you think that if you're selling to, to other companies, um, then or maybe the threshold has risen now? Or do you think it's just a question of finding a problem that's so painful that people will still put up with a thing that's sub suboptimal when they kick off?
0: I look for problems that are that painful, because uh, now it's not to say that the other ideas don't work. And so clearly, you know, there's many ways to succeed in life. But if you can find a problem that's that painful, your odds of succeeding, I think, go up dramatically.
1: It certainly, it certainly makes sense. Um, now, one of the things that some people listening, this is Project Kazimierz, which is a, a dynamic region, historic region of this, um, startup community here in, in, in southern Poland. And for sure, some people may be thinking, maybe you were thinking, why, why is a, a Silicon Valley, uh, successful entrepreneur someone of interest to us? And I, you know, that we, we've got an answer to that question because we, we want to learn from what's going on in other parts of the world. And also the world is very connected. But I, you know, I noticed like one of your investments was in Sprig, and the, the, the founder of Sprig is Gagan Biani, who doesn't sound like a uh- uh, a native american judging by his name and i wanted to ask how much you interact with 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 non-americans in your business and how much you're open to working with people from other parts of the world and you know is there anything about the way things are in silicon valley that, that other places that in some way want to not follow in silicon valley footsteps but take some of the things that are good about silicon valley and replicate it locally um, are there any particular things you draw attention to
0: Well, I mean, I would say that I tend to attract outsiders uh, as a rule. So there are many uh, immigrants in my portfolio. Half our companies are not in Silicon Valley. I am a firm believer that someone can have a good idea anywhere on the planet, and that idea succeed. Um, And there are great ideas everywhere. The Valley makes it easy to do certain kinds of ideas because the capital is available here to follow on once you get traction. And I, th- I think it takes a lot more effort and grit to succeed in a market where there's not as much capital because you can't make mistakes or it takes longer. But it doesn't mean that it's not possible. And you know, each place may have advantages like Memphis, Tennessee is a place that I help with a startup incubator. And their advantage is that FedEx is located there. So if you have a medical technology company and someone has has an injury that needs that device, you can put it on a FedEx plane and it will get there within 12 hours. And so there's a cluster of companies that that's their advantage. And I think it's just looking for what the advantage is in your area or what people are interested in.
1: In and then watching what that. Okay, that that's uh, I and I certainly agree that you know each everywhere's got everywhere's different, and there are advantages and disadvantages, and you need to be aware of those. What about what about the sort of the the, the, the attitude that you know I I, I have to say that I, I think that a lot of places have become maybe it's not universally pro-entrepreneurship, but there are a lot of places that want to be like like Silicon Valley, and, and you know what? What are the things? That, and you say you attract outsiders, which suggests maybe you're doing things a bit differently than some of your 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 other you know contemporaries or other investors in the ecosystem. So you know, why do you attract outsiders? What is it about the way you do things? Uh, do you know? And like, maybe what are the things that are worth copying?
0: Well, I think a lot of the venture capitalists have gone to the Ivy League school system. And they tend to look for people that match that pattern of success. And I tend to think, go to Ivy League school. Well, it's not that I have any of my, my... sister did, so I don't have anything against it. It's just I don't look like that kind of person and to attract uh, people that don't quite fit that mold. And, you know, the good thing is, is most of them are super now, in terms of like what I think the Valley's biggest advantage is, is the ease at which people share information and meet and help each other. I've never been any place on the planet where you can walk up a complete stranger, talk about what you do, and have people introduce you to extremely important and helpful people. And almost, you know, not everyone, I mean, there's clearly, you know, some people kind of have an agenda, but... In general, there's a very much a share and and uh, pay it forward attitude that I think if I were going to try to build up a startup community in other places, focusing on how to foster that sharing and collaboration, I think would be the thing I would focus on.
1: I I certainly agree with that, and it is something I know. Well, that's that's in. So so go ahead, Sam.
2: So, Will, one of the things that you've uh, – I think you brought up a couple really interesting points that uh, would be useful to our audience. One of the things you said is you're a big believer that a good idea can flourish anywhere in the world, uh, but there are certain advantages to to Silicon Valley. And one of the interesting things – I don't know if you'll ever have a chance to come over to Europe, but if you, if you do, please come visit us – is Krakow has this really uh, strong – idealization of anything Silicon Valley. And uh, I think it's an interesting um, fascination that they have, but also there's probably a downside to that, where you might pick up some bad habits, i.e. taking money too soon or thinking that money is going to solve all your problems like we were talking about earlier. Uh, What would you, you know, for an aspiring startup community in Europe that Richard and I both believe has a real shot of leading uh, a European renaissance in tech startups, what would you what advice would you give to a young community that's trying to develop something like Silicon Valley in Europe because you know Europe has not produced the big tech names and tech giants that are worldwide like the US and I think my opinion is they desperately need a hub that will be the center of something like that because there are certain advantages there so you know talk a little bit about what what advice you'd give to a community that's aspiring to build something like that
0: I would l- look at the underlying institutions and what I mean by that, you know, I read a biography of uh, Benjamin Franklin and one of the things he was a genius at was he would see an institution in Europe like take for instance a fire department or a library or you know, you know he, he brought over six or seven institutions like that and set them up in America and so if you look at it, you know, there's underlying mechanisms that create the flow of information, like a strong uh, set of technical meetups that occur every month, um, uh, co-working spaces where people can gather and, and share ideas. And, you know, so that there's a set of, of, of practices that, if instituted, would increase the flow of information and the ability to collaborate with each other. And I I think that's the sort of thing I would look at.
1: That's good. It's quite interesting. We actually, uh, I met Sam at a, we host an open coffee meeting. It used to be in Google for Entrepreneurs in Krakow. uh, And, you know, Sam came by and that's how we met each other. And that, I I absolutely agree. I also invested in a a co-working space. And, you know, certainly I I think it's very, you know, it's very reassuring what you're saying is what we're, what we're doing, I also think that the point you made about the the sort of pay it forward culture, the trustingness the the being ready to help people without necessarily immediately expecting to make a make a a dollar out of it or a percentage is is very important and we 're certainly certainly keen on 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 that type of thing um, and i I think that's that's true, but that's probably true for true for everywhere um, I wanted to ask you about. Um, your investment in borrowmydoggy.com dot com because that that's a, that's a, a UK based company um, that's moving to the United States and I, I think the web I'll post a link to the website. is, it's a very very charming website for people who like dogs. Um, but how did they reach you? And does that mean that anyone listening to to this interview anywhere on the planet can approach you? Do you do you invest that widely, or is there a is there a reason how they reached you in the United States?
0: So, the way we met Ball and My Doggy was when we went to London to raise money, I, we dropped by Seedcamp and Carlos introduced us to them as a uh, good company given my background in dating and matchmaking. I uh, love Rike, she's awesome. And then, you know, the other thing is that Seedcamp will bring over their top companies to the United States, uh, to both uh, New York and then to uh, San Francisco, and it presents a way for people like me to meet them. But we're investing in as far away as uh, Brazil uh, and other places. Um, and now it's mainly through you know introductions from our network. But I'm open uh, to meeting people. Uh, looking, I'm looking at investing in one Polish company, uh, Ducknow. And it's through uh, William Piotr, who I met, uh, who promotes Polish companies and brings them uh, my way. A
1: uh, Piotr Wilan, maybe Piotr Wieland? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He he's a friend of mine. I've you know I've s I was at his New Year's Eve party. It's he's he's uh, he's a very. He founded the uh, Polish equivalent of maybe Yahoo, a company called Onet.pl, and he's a he's a leading figure. In in our community here, we've interviewed him for this podcast series, but it hasn't been published yet. So 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 you're you you're looking at one of his companies. You you, you you've you've met the right people, I, I think. If you you're talking to Piot, and so, so that might be going to happen. What was the name of the company again, Will?
0: Uh, Duck was it? Ducky Duck Ducky
1: Ducky Deck Ducky Deck. It was that like for Ducky Deck is doing like games for kids, right?
0: No, this company Hello. allows people to collaborate around. Um, their website and put up comments so that it makes it easier to, uh, you know, to for the whole team to fix and work on a website at the same time.
1: Okay, that might be something like UX spin or something like that. He's got he's got a he will post a link. To, it's called Innovation Nest. Is his seed fund? Yes. And yes. and, and it probably it's one of the companies on his site, but. Um, but anyway, so, so that's that's very good news. Um interesting news for us because I didn't realise that that you're 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 looking you're looking at companies from this region and I I, I think that and in in terms of the, the the process and the way it works, it's all set out on your website. So I, I, I guess uh it doesn't make sense to go through it in great detail. We'll wrap this, Will. Uh I I'd ask you to send those um if you could send a suggested reading list, I noticed you're a reader now. Uh, I know you, you said that you, you read several books a, a week, but you know, your, your ideas of someone who wants to follow in your footsteps for, for coding would be great. Um, and perhaps, perhaps I'll, I'll leave it open. I'll discuss with Sam whether we want to come back and just let you get to your meeting now. Thanks very much for your time. And I'll, I'll probably drop you a note with a few, a few, a few summary Thank points. You.
0: You know, any suggestions you guys have for how to plug into the community there and be helpful? I mean, even if it's, you know, connecting with local incubators and getting on Skype calls, uh, I'm open to, you know, any of those. Uh, My goal is to keep broadening out our reach and, you know, meeting great entrepreneurs or wherever they happen to be.
1: Wonderful. Well, I'll certainly, I'll be a pleasure to do that. And we'll, I'll certainly, uh, keep, keep, let's keep the lines of communication open. So why don't you, you go for your meeting now and maybe we will do a follow-up maybe when we had a chance to think about some of the things you've said in this, this interview. So thanks very much for your time. Have a, have a great Friday and we're in touch, right?
0: Sounds good. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you for showing your support for innovation in Europe. Tell other innovators about the entrepreneurial movement by leaving a review in iTunes. For detailed show notes and community updates, visit projectkazimierz.com.